You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 288. Hello, everybody. I am so glad to be with you. We are super excited for another episode of the show. We are the Family Gamers. As always, I am your host, Andrew, and I am joined by my lovely and wonderful wife, Anitra. That's me. <laughs> and we have a good show planned for you today. We're going to talk about teaching board games. Yeah. This is the Family Gamers Podcast, and we know that a lot of the people that are listening play games with their kids or want to play games with their kids or are looking forward to playing games with their kids eventually. Yes. And people often ask us, how do you get your kids to play games with you? Or at least they ask on, you know, social media or something. Yeah. You know, this is a topic that obviously we have talked about a lot, but I don't know if we've actually done a show specifically about this topic. Yeah. So we're going to see what we can cover. Yeah. And then uh, after this week, we will definitely have done a show about this topic. There you go. All right. Sounds good. All right. Give me your fact about 288. (laughs) All right. So this is kind of cool. So there's this thing called the Bagger 288. Do you know what the Bagger 288 is? No. Okay. The Bagger 288 was built by the German company Krupp. Anything yet? Like the coffee maker Yeah, actually, people? I think it might be the coffee maker people, but or at least the same company. But it's for the energy and mining firm Rheinbronn. It is a bucket wheel excavator or mobile strip mining machine. Hmm. So the notable thing about this was that when it was built in 1978, it superseded Big Muskie as the heaviest land vehicle in the world at 13,500 tons. Wow. It took five years to design and manufacture and five years to assemble with the total cost reaching $100 In 1995, it was superseded by the slightly heavier Bagger 293, which is, in fact, the biggest, uh, heaviest land vehicle in the world. The NASA crawler transporter, which is what they use to, like, transport rockets, Mm -hmm. is the largest self-propelled land vehicle in the world because bucket wheel excavators, which is what these bagger things are, are powered by an external power source. Now, here's something that is just plain wild. The bagger 288 is 96 meters tall, which it shares with the 293, so it's the tallest. I mean, that's 315 feet tall. Yeah. That's very, very tall as a vehicle, right? It's not tall for building, but it's tall for a vehicle. Yeah. It can move 240,000 cubic meters of earth per day. I don't think my head can handle how much that actually is. That's a lot of earth moving. It requires an external 16.56 kilowatt power supply to turn on. Wow. (laughs) This thing is absolutely enormous. I mean, it is huge. Yeah. I mean, it's a mobile strip mining machine. It's crazy. Anyway, so that is my fact for the episode 288, the Bagger 288, a wild machine. It's I remember those shows back in like the 90s, like the big stuff shows or whatever they were i remember watching some like big machine shows yeah. uh, with our kids when they were little okay so that was you know the aughts the, yeah the late aughts okay but yeah that kind of shit like this is the kind of machine that would be on that show sure yeah. sure well my fact is about our sponsor first move financial did you know that you can talk to first move financial for free first move is a fee only firm which means that until you sign on as a client you're not paying to talk to them Speaking of the fee, we've mentioned before that it's different than other advisors. Instead of focusing solely on clients that already have millions saved, First Move wants to be able to help younger clients as well that have more income than savings. So the fee is based on your income and your net worth, not how much you invest with them. If you're curious about what it would cost to get help from First Move, you can visit firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers. And scroll down. There's a calculator there where you can enter your income and your net worth, and it will tell you your estimated monthly fee if you become a client of First Move Financial. Thanks so much to First Move Financial for sponsoring this episode of the show. So as always, let's open with what we have been playing lately. Yeah, let's do that. So we got a couple games in the mail, you know, just some games that we ordered. I had a gift certificate, and I was waiting for some stuff to come in, and some stuff finally came in. Yes. And I played two of those games this week. 
I played one of them. Right. So let's start with the one that we both played, which is Mr. Cabbagehead's Garden. So I'm not sure what I was expecting from this game, Mm -hmm. but what I'm expecting is not what I got. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sure. I mean, yeah. It is a kind of neat solo puzzle, um, laying out your garden and trying to avoid having vegetables be stolen by your nosy neighbors. Can you really avoid it, though? Like, I don't feel like you can. I mean, you did through lucky chance. Yeah, but Um, you're not. I mean, that was just luck. But. It's not only luck because you can decide through what vegetable you take in a given turn. From the vegetables that are left, it determines how many more neighbor tokens come out. So you can influence that a little bit just knowing the odds of certain neighbors coming out. Because if there's a tie, then no neighbors come out. I I mean, I guess. But So Mr. Cabbagehead Garden is a game where you are laying out a three by four grid of vegetables it's three by four three by six three by six okay three by six grid of vegetables and you get points for different layouts of the vegetables basically yeah a couple of times during the course of the game neighbors might come out and mess with your garden in different ways there's i think in the box there's something like 10 different neighbors or something like that they all act differently and yeah i mean that's it like that's the whole game yeah It's an interesting puzzle, but it's not quite the kind of puzzle I thought it was going to be. I'm definitely looking forward to playing it some more and eventually learning the two-player mode. This is one of those games where it is a solo game first, so you need to learn it as a solo game before learning the two-player. Right. I mean, there's a bunch of things that annoy the heck out of me with this game. So every neighbor has a collection of like eight tokens, which just have a picture of them on one side and a picture of being on holiday on the other side, which I think is really stupid because you always have four. Is it four neighbors out? Three neighbors out? Uh, Four neighbors. So why not just have four sets of generic tokens and then a marker that you put on each neighbor? Sure. Or we've already upgraded, quote unquote, the game by tossing a little cloth bag in there so we can throw all the tokens in a bag instead of trying to turn them all face down and try to mix them up. Yeah, but like it's so because there's not a lot of room in this box, which is fine. But like you have to sort out all the different tokens for all of the different neighbors. And it's just stupid. Like it's just I suppose it's just dumb. Like the art on the stuff is kind of this really interesting, like kind of old school, very like naturalistic art. It's sort of pseudo-Victorian newspaper. It also makes me think a little bit of Beatrix Potter, but weirder. (laughs) But it's definitely that turn of the 20th century, almost hyper-realistic, but parchment-y kind of style. Yeah, it's weird. But the problem is there's like eight different neighbors, and every one has its own set of tokens. And so you've got to keep track of all these tokens and keep track of them all separately. Like, it's just stupid. And it's just, I don't like it. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, they, they, you know, they could have like little gilded things that say one, two, three, and four on them and, you know, corresponding tokens for those. And so you just always have the same tokens, but you apply yeah. the one, two, three, and four to the neighbors that you, that come out. And it's just, it's just obnoxious. Uh, to quote Mark Spector, Grand Gamers Guild, I don't know if the juice is worth the squeeze on this game. Yeah, I, I'm going to play it a couple more times, but it just. And it's not a bad game. It's, it's just, not. Like I said, it's not quite what I was expecting. And part of that is that it's a lot more fiddly to get yes. the game set up I than really I was expecting. I enjoy playing the game. It's just, it's a stupid amount of work to get to the point where I can play the game. Right. And it's just, the game is fine, but it's not good enough to make it worth the adventure to get there. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Would you really trek 17 hours through the snow to go to a Hampton Inn? You know, you know what I mean? But would you do it to go to like an amazing mountaintop resort? Like one of those you would. One of them, it's just not worth it. You know what I mean? So I, sure. I don't know why that was the example yeah, that I, came I'm, to mind. It's, it's funny because it's late you, and I'm tired. You started that and I, and I was thinking like to get a really good ice cream. No, it doesn't matter how really good the ice cream is. 17 hours in the snow is not worth it. But but you get the point. Yeah. Like it's just if this was a like mountaintop experience kind of game. That, I think that's I was thinking mountaintop experience. I, I think, yeah, I, I get then, it. Then, okay, a lot of setup is, you know, maybe worth it. But it's not quite that. And they could have streamlined it and just made it like, well, because you throw all the tokens in the bag 
and you just feel yeah. for the four that are a little bigger and you put them on your your neighbors yeah, and you're I get done. It. You know I what I mean? It. Like it's, it's obnoxious. But anyway, so that's Mr. Cabot Hedge Garden. It's fine. I don't know. We'll see. Especially now that it is all organized out. I'll keep playing and see how it is. Yeah. I've been pulling out Ice Duo a couple more times to mm-hmm. play on the go. We're starting to get a little tired of it. So I think it's going to sit on the shelf for a while. I do like this pyramids structure and I'm looking into some of the other games we can play with them. Sure. It's just a little complicated because there are tons of games you can play with the pyramids, but all of them need specific combinations of like, you need two of each color, you know, in this many colors, or you need one of each color in this many colors or whatever. So and you it, only have two colors or something like that? Um, or, no, you have like four. So Ice, Ice Duo has five colors in it okay. and two complete pyramid sets in each color. But then, like, if I look for other games that use the pyramids, the first thing I have to check is how many pyramids do I need? What colors do they need to be? Et cetera. I see. So it's fine. I still highly recommend it as a really nice travel setup for two-player gaming. Hmm. On the other hand, something brand new to us uh, that came in for review is Pika Mouse. This is one of those games that I think, much like Mmm is really going to have legs for all different ages of people to play and yeah. all different skill levels. Okay. So Pika Mouse is a memory game predominantly, although it also has a lot of observation skill that you don't necessarily have in memory games normally. Okay. So in Pika Mouse, the whole box for the game transforms into this four-room house. You drop a bunch of tokens in through this hole in the middle of the roof, and then there's a little dispenser mechanism that means they can bounce into different rooms. And then you shake the box so you don't even know what rooms they actually ended up in. Uh And then when everybody's ready, you put this included flashlight in that same hole in the center of the box, and you press the button to turn it on. It stays on for 30 seconds. And everybody who's playing tries to look through the windows of the house and figure out which tokens are in which rooms, and which side of each token is facing up. Okay. When the flashlight turns off, you can't look in the house anymore. Sure. And then you go over to the little board and answer four questions about the stuff that was in the house. So you randomly place tokens, and then it's basically asking you questions like, what side of the token was the button token on? Was it on the green circle button side or the square pink button side? Are the questions randomized? So the framework for the questions is not randomized. Sure. Yeah, yeah. no, no, that's fine. But the items and the rooms okay, great. that go into the questions cool. are randomized. Cool. So it's really cool. And what's neat about it is the framework for the questions gets harder as you go into harder difficulty levels and you add more tokens with okay. the harder difficulty sure. levels. So it's really interesting looking at it. Like the easy level is basically like, was this item in this room? Was this item in this room? And what side was this one thing on? Mm-hmm. And there's only like four tokens in the easy level. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But as you add more tokens, the questions also get harder. One of the questions at level three and above, I believe is, Name all of the things that were in this room. If you get any part of that question wrong, you don't get the points for that question. That's brutal. (laughs) So it is a really neat game. Really cute. Definitely accessible to play with younger kids because there's no reading or anything. It's observation and memory only. But the harder levels of this are going to be very challenging, even for most adults. Cool. So really, really liking it. Awesome. All right. Well, the next game on my list is the other game that came in the package that we played. And this is a game from, I guess, technically, it's from Capstone Games, currently in the United States. And that is Juicy Fruits, which we first played down in Georgia. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. Family crew. We really liked this game. And I sat down with Ash and we played a game of Juicy Fruits. We played it on like easy mode. I don't even, did you know there's an easy mode? I did not game? know there was an easy mode. So, Remember the juice factory, that whole thing with the sliding tokens? Yeah. Yeah. So basically easy mode. The scoring board has hard mode, which has the juice mm-hmm. factory, and easy mode on the other side, which just doesn't have the juice factory. Oh, like okay. That's, so that's it. It's sure. just one less thing to think about. Sure. Over the course of the game. So 
We played Juicy Fruits. I mean, it is a really nice, easy, straightforward game. Very tactical with all the uh, wooden fruit pieces. It's just nice. It really rewards looking ahead, but that doesn't make it a hard game to understand. Just a hard game to necessarily do well at if that's not your skill. Yeah, I mean, it rewards looking ahead because the island on which you are sliding your fruit baskets almost kind of functions like one of those sliding puzzles. Yes. Kind of. But the further you're able to slide your baskets, the on more a given stuff turn, the you more get. You can yeah. Get. So it definitely does reward planning ahead. But it's not like if you can't plan ahead, you can't do anything. Right. I'm just saying that because I remember when I played, I had a hard time balancing out like here are the things I really want to do on my island versus here is the ways I'm going to need to move fruits in order to do that. Right. Well, the way it worked out in our game, which was actually pretty interesting, was. I was clearing off the low point boats mm-hmm. as fast as I could. Mm-hmm. And Asher was clearing off the high point boats because they were worth more points. Oh, sure, sure. But about halfway through the game, I was able to start catching up because I had so much more freedom on my board. You had more space. And yeah. I was able to ramp up and, and to kind of accelerate past him, especially when I got some of those ice cream stands. Sure. And even though he was at that point able to clear off more stuff and move some things around, it just was, I, I, you know, I was just buying too much ice cream. Sure. So, but that's Juicy Fruit. That game is a ton of fun. And for what you get in the box, it is very inexpensive. Nice. Like, I think we paid maybe $28 for that on Game Nerds. Wow. Yeah, which is a crazy deal for that game. Yeah. I think we've only got two more. You and I had a chance to go to a brewery of all places. We went on like a Date? Like a date, but also met a friend and oh. introduced them to two of our favorite small box games. Yes, we did. We played Deep Sea Adventure and Tussie Mussy. Deep Sea Adventure, the game where, no, really, you're going to die the first round. <laughs> I did not die. <laughs> you did not. I died repeatedly. <laughs> I didn't die the first round. I died the rest of the rounds. Yeah. Um, but it was still fun. I love how fun that game is, even when you're losing, that you can just be like, you know what? I'm losing so hard, I'm going to lose harder and see if I can bring you all down with me. Rude. <laughs> it's a fun time. And Tussie Mussy, I, it's just so elegant how you put it together, you know, with your keepsakes being your face down ones and your bouquet being your face up. And there's never any decision of like, what order am I going to put this in? It's always just, here are the two cards I'm looking at. Whichever one I pick goes next in my group. That's it. I did actually play one other game. Okay. I introduced a friend of ours to Royal Visit, and we played a game of Royal Visit in 20 minutes, including the teach, so... Highly recommend. Great game. Yeah. Super fast, not a lot of pieces, a lot of fun. That is going to be the first one that gets cleared off our family 10 by 10. It, it might end up being the only one that gets cleared off our family 10 by 10 with the progress I'm seeing. Once summer comes. Uh, probably, Once summer yeah. comes. All right. So that's the stuff we've been playing. Let's take a break, and after that, we will welcome new members to our community and then talk about teaching board games. All right, so let's do that. You're about to hear a snap review for The Key Theft at Cliff Rock Villa. We'll be right back. Any trouble? What? There's been a theft. Three of them, actually. What? I know. I know. And we're going to need the help of some detectives who are good at logical deduction to help solve these three cases. This is a snap review for The Key, Theft in Cliff Rock Villa, designed by Thomas Singh and published by Hapa. Like every game in the Key series, it's appropriate for one to four players, ages eight and up. Each puzzle takes about 15 minutes to play. So the rules for theft in Cliff Rock Villa tell us that there's three suspects in custody. They found the people, but you have to figure out what each person stole, when they stole it, and how they plan to escape. That's a lot. It is. But we can do it. We can. The graphic design in this whole series, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later, is, I think, very clear and very good. It's very clear, except when it's intentionally trying to make it hard to figure out what's going on, which is appropriate for this game. I think it is thematically appropriate for the given clues. Yes, exactly. (laughs) All right, so let's talk about how to play this game. 
Well, we've reviewed a previous entry in the Key series. That's right. You can find the link below for Sabotage at Lucky Llama Land. The mechanics here are very, very similar. Start by choosing one of the nine wooden keys and set it where everyone can see it. The color of that key represents the case that everyone will be trying to solve at the same time. Make sure each player has a briefcase to record their guesses and an investigation file to help them decipher clues. I'm going to be max power for this one. Max power! And also a dry erase marker. Spread out all the clues face down so that everyone can reach them. You can make a mess with these. Everyone will play simultaneously, grabbing clue cards and deciphering them. So how do the clue cards work? Well, first, make sure the card you're grabbing has a color swatch that matches the case color. This would actually be a terrible choice because we are doing the yellow case and there's no yellow on here. <laughs> In addition to the colors, each card back also shows a point value of two, three, or four. In this game, points are bad. It shows a type, witness, fingerprint, found object, or surveillance camera. And two aspects of the case it applies to. Who the perpetrator is, the time of the crime, the stolen item, a getaway. Once you've selected a card, flip it over and take a look. No matter what kind of card it is, it should tie together two aspects of a crime, allowing you to eliminate possibilities on your briefcase matrix. For example, this clue says that the crown was stolen before the mask. So the crown can't be part of the last theft that was accomplished, and the mask can't be part of the first one. If you think you've gathered enough clues to determine the thief, stolen item, and getaway for all three crimes, grab the wooden key and wait for your fellow detectives to finish. Use the left side of your briefcase screen to generate a three-digit number code representing your solution. When everyone is done, the detective with the key may be the first to test their solution. Look for a number on the solution board that matches your number code and put the key in the hole. Boop! Then check the other side of the solution board. Is your key in a matching color lock? Congratulations, you've solved the case. Otherwise, hand the key and the solution board over to any other player who has a different code to test. If multiple investigators came up with the correct code, then you'll need to calculate some scores. Add together the point values from all of the clue cards that you use. And if you finished first, you'll get to subtract a few points. Whoever got the right answer and has the lowest score is the best detective and they get promoted. You can also play this game solo with absolutely no time pressure. Once you think you found the answer to a particular color case, check it on the solution board and then check your score against the table in the rules to find out if you're barely competent or on par with, who else, Sherlock Holmes. So Andrew, let's talk about what we expected from this game, the key theft at Cliff Rock Villa. We love logical deduction games and filling in this matrix and scratching things out and what's happening. It's super satisfying. We just love it. Figuring out the who, what, when, how, it's, it's just great. Mm -hmm. We expected more of the same from theft at Cliff Rock Villa with a new theme and some new types of clues to decipher. But every game has surprises. So what surprised us about this game? Well, I liked Theft at Cliff Rock Villa more than Sabotage at Lucky Llama Land. The clues here felt slightly more believable. Things like items that were left behind, witness statements regarding height and outfits, fingerprints, stuff like that. But I thought the security camera clues tended to be very difficult. So I kind of disagree. I thought the security camera clues were actually pretty thematic. Like you, you do need to look carefully at them, but most of the time you could figure something out. So Andrew, would we recommend this game? Well, the key Theft at Cliff Rock Villa is a family-friendly game in both theme and in execution. If your kids haven't done much logical deduction before, they might get a little bit frustrated. I'd recommend having them play like on a team or walk them through that solo mode, which yeah. works so well. Our middle child loves board games and he learns really fast, but he moves fast too when he's doing this stuff or like his homework. And sometimes his deduction mistakes kind of catch up with him when he's playing a game like this. So it gets frustrating, but it is a good learning experience. I think this game is a great next step if your family has enjoyed other deduction games like Outfoxed or Clue or even Habba's Cloaked Cats which we reviewed last year. So we're going to give this game four and a half keys out of five. And that's the key, Theft in Cliff Rock Villa. In a snap. And we're back. Hello. Before we go any further, we want to welcome the new members to the Family Gamers community on Facebook. Yeah, you know, I don't know if... 
I feel like some of these people have been in the community. I, look, Facebook has a thing where it tells us the new members in the community. I think it's getting screwed up, but we're going to welcome these people anyway. And if you've been in the community for a while and uh, and you hear your name, congratulations. You're being re-welcomed. If you left and came back, know that we see all. <laughs> Facebook knows all. <laughs> but in all seriousness, uh, welcome to Bob. Welcome to Ben Parmentier. Ben just released a game with Quick Simple Fun called Freight Cars, and we bought a copy, and I haven't played it because we just got a whole box of games, but very happy to support him in that. Welcome to Beth and to Bethany. And welcome to Faith. Thanks so much for joining the Facebook community. And if uh, if you're part of the community, head over there and say welcome. We have a very adorable post with some wiener dogs. They're so cute. Wiener wiener Big dogs. Big floppy ears. Yes, they have very adorable floppy ears in slow motion. <laughs> Good choice. Thanks. All right. So maybe it's just me, but I get asked fairly often when I start talking about like reviewing kids board games and family board games. So like, oh, how do you get your kids to play games with you? I'm like, I ask them? <laughs> I beat them. No, not that. No, we don't. But I see this more and more from parents who are gamers but have kind of protected their, you know, grown-up hobby gaming from their children. And now they're like, wait, how am I ever going to get them into this if I don't play games with them? Right. I mean, look, the art of the teach is not a universal thing. <laughs> and, and that's just talking about adults teaching adults. Have you seen the video on Twitter of Mandy Patinkin and his wife trying to learn Wingspan? I, okay. <laughs> I saw that the video existed I saw that there was a lot of like crying laughter. Yeah. That's as far as I got. I just, I, I was, I think I was on a conference call or something. I couldn't actually watch it at the time. I mean, they, the two of them are basically saying like, this is must be what it feels like to have Alzheimer's and this game makes me <laughs> feel terrible. dumb. But in the end, they're like, we're going to get this eventually. And the first time I looked at it, I was thinking like, well, obviously they just need the, the Swift start pack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were using the Swift start pack. I noticed the second time I looked at the video. So this also applies to uh, how do you teach your elderly family to play board games? Hello, <laughs> my name is Inigo Montoya. You bought me a board game. Prepare to teach. <laughs> No, I like it. That's that's good. <laughs> that's real good. So part of what's involved with getting anybody really to play games with you is teaching them how right. to play the game. All right. So let's let's get into some of this. So what are some good things that parents can do to help their kids learn how to play? Some of these are going to apply more to some ages than others. But a big thing I would say to just get started is lead by example. Play a game solo and wait for them to come up to you and say like, hey, how do you play this? What are you doing? Can I do it too? And that gives you a very natural opportunity to just talk through what you're doing already and teach by example. So there's a there's kind of a, a counter example to this, which I think is really important. This is something that we also field as a question, which is, you know, how do you incorporate your kids into a game session where you're playing a game with adults because you don't want to like shut them away to be somewhere else. I mean, maybe you do, but most but of the time you don't. Most of the time you don't. <laughs> but at the same time, you obviously don't want them like screwing your game up. Right. right. So what do you do? And so in a situation like that, this is a situation where we recommend that you have some maybe pieces to like a hobby game or something like that, or maybe even pieces to the game that you're playing that you're not using if they're cardboard pieces and you have a child who's still putting things in their mouths, not recommended. Don't do that. But, you know, in those cases, if you have a kid that's that small, we do recommend get, picking up a hobby game or two with some larger wooden pieces that they're mm -hmm. not going to choke mm -hmm. on. And then you can put that kid on your lap while you're playing with your friends and give them those other pieces so they kind of have something tactile. They feel like they're holding on to them. This is like the classic give them the controller without the batteries in it while you're playing a video game thing. Yeah. You know, it's the same but, idea. But even a little bit older kid, especially that, you know, three, four, five, six age range, they're not going to have the patience usually to sit down and play a game that takes more than 30 minutes, which right. is a lot of adult even hobby board games. Is even 30 minutes can a be lot pushing for it. A kid that young. And so when it comes to the more advanced games, you know, the full on family games, the hobby games, it's best to include them in, a, in such a way that it's like, hey, come play on my team for a while. And then when they want to wander away again, that's okay. Right. Yes, exactly. And th that's a really good 
way to start to indoctrinate them into a lot of the kind of the language or, you know, a lot of the phraseology or a lot of the patterns yeah. that come with board gaming. Yeah. I mean, it's as simple as like, okay, honey, I'm going to put my guy here because this spot gives me, you know, this gold that I really want. Hey, can you hang on to those two gold for me? Awesome. Exactly. No, that's that's totally true. And, you know, you mentioned that whole like playing as a team thing, which is really important. This is another case where co-op games can really be helpful mm. because you basically play them usually open-handed unless it has explicit rules to not play them open-handed, sure, which sure. case is not the best cooperative game to play. But there's wild ranges of difficulty on cooperative games, but everybody can help each other in a game like that. And so instead of having someone that you're ostensibly trying to beat, but also you're kind of trying to help them because you're trying to get them into a game, mm -hmm. in a cooperative game, you really are trying to help them. And so it's okay. And so there's not this like weird, like I'm putting my motives on the shelf while I help my kid. You know yeah. what I mean? There's no weird like, yeah. dichotomy there. Well, and once again, with... Younger children, especially, even for a cooperative game, they may lose patience partway through. So it's really cool if you can play a cooperative game that can migrate right into a solo game without much trouble. A great one for me in this area is M. That's three M's and an exclamation point by Reiner Kinesia. Mm -hmm. Yep. But as they get a little older, hopefully they'll have a little bit more patience for learning a game. So... What do you do when you ask your kid, like, hey, do you want to play a game with me? Obviously, you need to be well aware of your kid's ability level when it comes to sitting still, listening, being able to process multiple instructions. <laughs> no, like, this is a real thing. Like, I remember seeing this on a kindergarten report card, I think, of, like, being able to handle three-step instructions versus, you know, one or two-step right. instructions. Sure. Those are the skills to look out for as you start getting into like, hey, let's play a game together. If your kids are not even at that point yet, then like we said, some co-op games, simple memory games, some of the My First Habit games in which it is literally do this thing. Okay, do that thing again. And simply learning things like taking turns. Okay, you mentioned taking turns. So Let's let's take a step back. So we've kind of talked about some kind of tools that parents can use when they're in a board game environment to get their kids into the board games, to help their kids learn the board games, board game this, board game that, etc. What kinds of skills do parents need to make sure their kids even have before getting to a conventional board game? You know, because this is actually a really, really important part. You know, I mean, we see these posts all the time. It's like, my daughter is six months old. I know she's not old enough. To, no, hold on. I know she's not old enough to play games yet, but what are the kinds of things that I can do even now that will help her ramp up when she gets older so I'm not caught you know, they don't say this in the post when my daughter is four, you know, with my pants down kind of thing. Like, <laughs> Not caught I mean? flat footed. Yeah. yeah. I think with my pants down is funnier, but <laughs> whatever. You get the idea. The, the point is the same. So let's talk about that for a little bit because I think, you know, you mentioned one already, which is simply the act of taking turns. So taking turns, also literally following instructions. I have known some children who, if you give them anything more than one step at a time. Are you talking about our son? On occasion. <laughs> but you see this a lot in little kids where they can do one step, but if you say, do this and then do that, then it gets dicey. Right. Like, it might happen or they might get distracted after the first step. And for some kids, that lasts a long time, but being able to handle any kind of multi-step instructions is really important for just about any game. Some of the simplest games I can think of still involve two steps. Mm -hmm. And the process of a child putting together the cognitive processes to maintain a multi-step instruction set is something that they're going to have to build eventually. Yes. <laughs> right? I mean, you just have to. There's, you know, along no with taking turns, live without doing that thing. Yes. Along with taking turns, which is something you will have to do at some point in your life, you will have to wait for somebody else to do what needs to be done before yeah. you can do your thing. Right. Like buy your Starbucks coffee. <laughs> yeah. So those are some really, really basic skills. But we talked about some stuff that, you know, you when you get into those elementary ages are really, really valuable and important to have that almost any board game can teach. 
Right. Yeah. Looking ahead. It goes hand in hand with the multi-step instructions. So now instead of something outside of you saying, hey, you do this and then you do this and then you do this, being able to internalize more of that as well to say, if I do this, then I will be able to do this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go back to because mm, I like the puzzle involved there. If I put my piece here, then we've finished off this food and the cat won't move this turn. <laughs> Because you don't want the cat to move closer and closer to the door in the game of mm. If I place my piece over here, I really like this piece, but it's not going to help us with that goal. So being able to start making those connections is something that will happen in pretty much any game once a kid has had some practice at it. Another very important skill that you will not think of until they go flying across your house is calmly rolling dice. <laughs> yes. We have talked in the past about many solutions for and tools for teaching your children to not simply chuck dice with all their might. Use at your discretion. <laughs> Sometimes it's not convenient to have a dice tower with you. Yeah. Or something to that effect, right? You just have to use your hands. So could be a dice tower, could be a dice cup, rattle them around in the cup and then just flip the cup over and basically drop them out. Mm -hmm. That is another good way to teach kids some control there. Rolling in your hands and dropping is a hard skill. Even for a lot of adults, we almost lost some dice at the brewery when we were playing. Well, that was the table's fault. When we were playing Deep Sea Adventure. Uh, It was partly the table's fault, but we had to get even smaller with our die rolls to avoid that happening over and over again. So I don't blame kids who have a hard time with this as frustrating as it is. Yeah, I just think that it's really important because we as adults, we kind of take the skill of rolling dice or the skill of taking turns or the skill of of this or that kind of for granted because they're so ingrained in what we do. Yeah. I mean, you know, somebody who plays a lot of cards would just kind of assume that everyone can shuffle fold and that is not. (laughs) That is definitely not the case. You know, yeah. So rolling dice is surprisingly not easy. Yeah. Another thing that is on this list, and again, we're talking right now about skills that are important to have your kids develop before they're even in the position to get to the table to play a game, right? So all the stuff that we've talked about so far, another one is organizing. Even the most basic games have some setup involved and being able to process, okay, you know, these pieces go over here and those pieces go over there. Look, do you want your kids to be able to clean their room? Like, you know, it's a lot of the same cognitive skill set that puts things in their homes, in their rooms, Mm -hmm. and is also used to organize and sort and get things ready to be used on a board game table. Yeah, I think thinking of it as sorting is a great way to put it because that's a skill that also comes up in school settings of can you sort out this pile and there's like the oranges in one group and the apples in another? Like, can you even tell the difference between those and understand that they need to go in separate places? Well, and then there's going to be things that are a little bit less direct. Like you have orange squares and red squares and orange circles and red circles. And how do you want to organize them? You could organize them as circles and squares. You could organize them as oranges and reds. Like Mm -hmm. being able to take these things that you could separate them into four different piles. Like Mm -hmm. and, and saying, okay, in this case, we want to separate them like this. And being able to make that distinction is an important skill. Yeah. And again, it's something that we very much take for granted. But for kids who are really developing all the stuff like from scratch, mm-hmm. you know, it's really important. Well, and this is where I point out that attention is a skill. <laughs> yes, it is. It's a skill that's affected by a lot of other things. But paying attention, that is an active role. Again, most games, not every game, but most games will reward careful attention, paying close attention, rather than just throwing out whatever, doing whatever. Even really active games like Funky Chicken or Happy Salmon. Sure. You need to pay attention to what's on the cards and pay attention to the other players and what they're looking for to match up actions with each other and actually be able to do the thing. Well, and I mean, we, we talk about paying attention and we're like, oh, it's it's so reductive. You're talking about paying attention. Obviously, you have to you know do that. But it turns out that in many strategic games, paying attention is the next level skill. 
It's not yeah. just mastering the mechanics of the game to be successful. You have to pay yeah. attention to everyone else, and that's how you get to that next level. And so, yes, at its most rudimentary and basic levels, it is something that is critical for learning in general, going to school in general, communicating with people in general, playing a game, but also going to that next level like later on. like Paying attention is a thing that is actually a lot harder than a lot of people think. If now, you're going to do it right. Well, and that said, I think that brings us back to how do you effectively teach? Because really, when you're teaching, what you're saying is, I am showing you where to put your attention right now until you understand the rules of this game. And then you will know where to put your attention. Mm-hmm. So it assumes already a level of being able to pay attention. <laughs> well, I mean, and there's also <laughs> different ways to engender the importance of paying attention. For me, especially with our youngest, literally I am in his face. Not like nasty in his face, but like, no, I am holding your face. My nose is two inches away from your nose. Are you paying attention? You will repeat after me, right? And I don't think you need to go to that level when you're talking about board games. I think that's a little bit less, you know, extreme. Usually with him, (laughs) things like, if you don't put on your socks... I will murder you. Like, you know, that's, that's a, it's a yeah. kind of a different situation, yeah. but, you know, that's where we're at right now. So. so, some of the techniques that we use in getting our kids to pay attention will translate over to board games and how to teach a board game. Things like explain and then give them a chance, ask them to repeat back to you. So important. What do you think the steps are that I just explained? Because I want to make sure you understand it. You can also, like I said, talk through a turn, which whether you're already playing and you're showing them or you take the first turn of the game and you show them what to do. Okay, now you try. And in that environment, try to use the same exact language each time so a kid can really hang on the concrete terms that you're using. Don't say, oh, well... I flicked this and it landed on red, so I moved to the red spot. And then when it's their turn, you say, okay, spin the spinner. I thought you said flick. Use consistent language, Mm -hmm. which is hard sometimes as a parent. We want to use our vocabulary and be really specific, but maybe be a little less specific and use terms that will always work. So whether that's saying, hey, I always spin the spinner and then I go to the matching space, and then I check and see if there's anything else I need to do. You know, maybe it's something as generic as that. But using that kind of language, okay, now you, you spin the spinner, you go to that colored space, you check and see. Yeah, I think that's great. So there's one other thing that I do want to mention, which we've talked about before on various shows for various reasons. But I do think it's important to think about in the context of this whole teaching thing. And especially because we open this with like, I have a six-month-old. I want to get them to the point where they're (laughs) whatever. Or I have a three-year-old, you know, who, you know, wants to be involved and is playing with pieces, whatever. You have to remember, this is so incredibly important, that interest waxes and wanes. Paying attention for the full term of a game is not going to come right away Mm -hmm. for everyone. It Mm -hmm. might come for some kids. It might not come for others. So a lot of what you need to be able to do is accommodate the length of that interest. And that interest might be zero. Yeah. Right? So if if you are the parent, I'm not going after anybody here, but if you are the parent saying, I want to get my kids into board games and they are not up for it, do not fight with your kids about it because then they're going to associate the fight with board games. Yeah. And you will lose them. Yeah. So that's incredibly important. Like you can get your kids into, here's the thing. Kids are kids, right? Kids are excitable, generally speaking. Yeah. There is something that will turn on every kid. It might be monster trucks. It might be Elsa and Anna. It could be... Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs is a big one. It could be airplanes or trains or whatever. You know your kids. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say, like, hey, do you want to play a game with me, like you said before? Yeah. Like, that's certainly something you can do. And leading by example and saying, like, hey, let's have some family time and do this. But if you're getting a lot of resistance, then switch to theme. Yes. You know what your kids like. Well, two parts. One, switch to a theme that you feel more confident they're going to like. But two, in all seriousness, back off for a season. You keep playing games. And if your kids were your only option to play games with, figure out some solo games so that they can still see that 
it's something that you enjoy and think is fun but without being like no you're gonna sit down and of play course. this you game you never want to do that part of it outside of some certain context <laughs> <clears throat> but here's what i mean like let's say your five-year-old really likes race cars and you are trying to get your kids to play games like rhino hero right that's a good yeah. type of game and they're just not having it pick up a copy of monza which is a race car racing game with a picture of a race car on the cover and leave the game out. Yeah. Let your kids discover the game on their own. Let them play with the pieces. Then point out, hey, this is a game. Do you want to try it? Yeah. Let them buy into the theme first, and then you can work towards those other pieces where you have some more organized play. So that's a really good way, you know, we're kind of attacking this from a lot of different angles, right? So we're talking about like, how do you actually perform the teach itself? How do you prepare a kid to play a game? How do you get kids interested in, in playing a game and doing it on terms that maybe they're not your terms, but they're terms that you can work with? Right? Yeah. So that's kind of a lot of our thoughts about this topic. Do you, do you have anything else you want to add? I do. Two more things. One is the strategy we just talked about works with older kids as well. We're going to use airplanes this time as an example, because I know I, like airplanes. I know a kid who is obsessed with airplanes. If this kid did not like playing board games in general, I would probably set out a copy of Pan Am, like open it up, take a look at all the pieces. Oh, it's got those cool plane pieces. It's in got it. awesome plane pieces <laughs> in it. And just kind of play around with it a little bit on my own and see if they didn't come by and be like, wow, this is cool. What is this about? What are you doing here? Right. And the map on it is really cool. And so, like, in this case, I'm talking about, like, a 14, 15-year-old kid who might feel like they're starting to get too cool for mom and dad's stuff <laughs> until it matches up with their interests. Right, exactly. Yep, I agree. The other thing I'm going to say here is this is going to sound incredibly reductive and simple and duh, but if you want to teach your kids a game, know the game first. This is something I am sure every gamer parent is guilty of at some point, which is, hey, kids, we're going to play this cool new game. We're going to open it up for the first time. We're going to punch out the pieces. We're going to read through the rules together. And by the time we're on the second page of the rules, the kids are like, I'm done. Yep. See ya. Bye. Yep. Guilty. <laughs> and honestly, in our family, where there's a constant influx of new games, that is a big thing that has turned our kids off from certain games is because we thought we were sitting down to play a game and what we were sitting down to do was figure out how to learn the game before we could play the game. Yep. So this isn't a blanket rule, but a general rule of thumb is read the instructions or watch a watch it played with Rodney or, or whomever. whoever or wherever you want to go for game instruction. There are other videos and tutorials out there. At least have the basics down yourself. I would go so far as to say you should just play the game with someone. Find someone to play the game with. Get one session of the game. If this is a family weight game, like it's not going to be a four-hour slog, right? right? It's just not. Right. Play the game. See the mechanics in motion. Play the game first. Well, and honestly, it can also interest your kids if you're the kind of person who likes watching a tutorial of rules. That might actually pull your kids in just as much as playing the game if your kids enjoy games where they'll be like, oh, hey, what he's doing on the screen there, that looks really cool. Oh, you said we have this game? Can we try it? Well, and one thing that is absolutely true is if you turn on a screen and <laughs> and the children can hear it, they will come to you. It's like Velcro. It's weird. But I've definitely noticed that a couple of times when I've started looking at usually game reviews that all of a sudden I have a child there who, who's like, oh, what, you know, what's this? What game are they talking about? This looks cool. And I'm like, okay, that's how we played Color It from Habba for the very first time. We didn't have a copy of the game to review yet. I saw somebody else doing a playthrough and they're like, oh, and, hey, you can print out sheets over here. And I was like, coloring and sure. <laughs> and all of a sudden I had all of the children with me and they're like, what? A video and a coloring game? Yes, let's all play the co I'm like, okay, let's all play the coloring all game. All right, I guess we'll do that. Sure. Yeah. It can be hard to sit down and read the rules not knowing what the reward is going to be in the future, but this is board games. We always take moves not knowing for sure what the reward is going to be in the future. Right, that's, that's just what we do. <laughs> so do it! 
I know we said today was going to be about teaching board games. We veered a little bit. However, once you have learned the rules yourself, you can decide based on the people you are teaching it to if what they really want is a broad overview and then dig down into the different things you can do. Like, here is your goal in Chai. You want to earn the most money through the tea that you sell. And then go into, here is how you sell tea. Here is how you get the ingredients. Or maybe instead you want to say, here is the structure of a turn. This is what a turn looks like. And then lead from there into the goal. Generally speaking, I would recommend doing one of those two approaches when you're teaching a game. And I am 100% guilty of this. I've definitely done the, okay, you do this and then you do this. And oh, wait, I forgot that first you actually do this. And when you present things all out of order like that without really tying it all back together, it's super confusing for the people around you. I mean, you're teaching them the game, but you're really only teaching them part of the game. That makes me think a little bit of the video with Mandy Pintigan, just like, I have no idea what's going on here. So the big takeaways for teaching, once you know you're at the right level, your people you're teaching to are going to be interested in the game and capable of playing. Learn the game first, a number one most important point, then decide if you are going to teach it in a topical way of here's your goal and here are the different steps you can take to get there, or if you're going to teach it in a turn order way, and if you're going to do turn order, make sure you get it right. I think that's it. I think that kind of wraps up. We've come full circle back to here's how you teach a game from why would you teach a game and what do you need to look for first into the how. All right. Well, Anisha, if anybody who's listening to this have kind of tips or tricks or techniques that they've developed for teaching their own kids or other kids, you know, we actually have some people who do some game schooling and stuff like that. Or teaching grandparents. Whatever. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And they want to share those. Where can they go to do that? Well, the best place is probably the Family Gamers Community. Thefamilygamers.com forward slash community will bring you right into the Facebook community. Or search it on Facebook. Welcome to our community members previously. Or you can go to Facebook and search for the Family Gamers Community. But you can also let us know more directly through Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at Family Gamers AA. Mm-hmm. You can also find us on TikTok at Family Gamers AA. Or you can find our videos on YouTube at The Family Gamers. I made a TikTok video which was originally going to be a blog post. Um, (laughs) And then I realized I did not have time to make it a blog post. I put together Easter baskets for our kids this year that had more games in them than normal and less candy. And so I wanted to share a couple of those things with other people for inspiration. Mm -hmm. So you can check that out on TikTok. Of course, if you really just want to reach out to us directly, you can always email us, andrew at thefamilygamers.com. Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. You can buy our merch. Yes, you can. Including the t-shirt designed by our daughter. Mm-hmm. It's T-shirts, great. hoodies, mugs, all sorts of stuff like that at thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, tell your friends about this podcast, and leave us a review wherever it is that you do podcasty stuff. <laughs> podcasty stuff. I like it. The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com forward slash family gamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you do what? Pile up the victory points. Oh, yeah. In a big old pile. All right. All right. So, like I've said before, it is late. We are done. Until next week, everybody. Play Play games with your kids. kids.